in the uh, 90s, I was very interested in understanding the scriptures better. And I used to listen to this old Baptist preacher from Texas on, of course, tapes. Remember tapes? I feel like it's been a while. And I remember his series on Ecclesiastes, and I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, but it is delightful because the writer talks about life as it actually is, pulling no punches, full of cynicism and hope about what it means to believe in God in a world um, that lives under a curse. And as he was preaching on Ecclesiastes, he came to the, the text I'm about to read from Ecclesiastes 5, and, and he said, in light, of this tick, in light of this text, you'll understand why I made that mistake in just a second. In light of this text, I'm going to go to my son's baseball game this afternoon, and I'm going to have a Dr. Pepper and a Twix. And that was like the conclusion of his sermon. I don't even think Dr. Pepper is a good gift, by the way. I, I like the way it tastes, but it, it kind of makes me, because I don't drink as much sugar, it kind of makes me like fidget now. But the reason that he was saying that is from this verse in Ecclesiastes, and this actually is a repeated refrain from it. Verses 18, 19, and 20 of, from chapter 5. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for that is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Do you realize how much less religious that sounds than how Christians normally talk about money? Just look at verse 19 and compare it with how oftentimes, especially people like me, pastors talk about money. I'm not sure the best way to encourage my own heart, much less yours, in the incredibly ill-advised attempt to be more spiritual than the scriptures. Except to return to the scriptures and, and learn from them. I'll start again in verse 18 and I'll read the whole text this time. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for that is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. We're doing a series on uh, money because money has an incredible ability. It's not the only thing, but it has an incredible ability to cause us or to lead us to either hate it or love it. And hatred is sort of a veiled way of really loving it. And the with God life causes us to do neither, to recognize that money is something we are to steward, which involves enjoying it. That's what's so interesting about the book of Ecclesiastes and the other texts of the, of, from the scripture that we're going to look at today. The title of the series is While the King is Away because Jesus came to earth, incarnated, taught, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and we're waiting for him to come back and make things new, set the world to rights. In between that time, you and I have been asked to steward money 
gifts, time. And do you know that part of that stewardship is learning to enjoy the things God describes as good? You are not called to an ascetic life. You are not called to a life without enjoyment of the mundane good things God has given. Even the monks oftentimes make beer. Did you know that? Some of you are more into beer than others. Monks make some of the best beer in the world, even though they're called to monkish lives. <laughs> and so the categories, these broad stroke categories that we're looking at for this series on money to, to give, save, and to spend their guardrails so that we might flourish as human beings with the good things that God has asked us to steward. In your notes, it says the gospel calls us to joy, and sometimes Christians use the word joy, and it, it sounds like my soul is content, but I'm sort of sad. Like joy is, is I, I don't know what it is about our language, but joy absolutely coexists with happiness. Joy absolutely is supposed to make us feel a certain way. I'm going to describe it this way. Joy is happiness in our soul that's always accessible to us, though it can coexist with harsh circumstances and other emotions. The gospel calls us into joy. And therefore, when the scriptures talk to us about the temptations of money, it's so that we can experience the joy purchased by Christ. It's so that we can live in light of the teaching. There's a reason that six of the Ten Commandments overlap with money because money has this ability to tempt us, either to hate it, which is a way of idolizing it, or to love it and assume it can actually speak to our soul. Like the story Jesus told in Luke 12. The biggest problem with the man that wanted to tear down his barns and build new barns is he believed that, that doing that would speak to his soul. Jesus told a lot of stories about money. And did you know there are a whole lot of rich people in the Bible? And the scriptures don't engage that fact at all because that's not the point. What happens when we watch Abraham, who was very, very wealthy, is he seeks to be faithful to God with what he's been given. Lydia, one of the founders of the Philippian church, is described as very wealthy only because that's how Paul met her, through her work as a merchant. And what's assumed is she wants to steward that well. Nicodemus the man who approached Jesus in John chapter 3, and then we see um, towards the end of Jesus' earthly life, becomes a follower of Christ, very wealthy. So was Joseph of Arimathea. And this text doesn't then say, and that was bad, or and that was good. We just watch these figures steward well what God has given them. The gospel calls us to to joy and in that calling to joy describes to us the size of things. A couple of years ago doing a series on the Ten Commandments, the second commandment is about idolatry. I believe when the scriptures talk about not worshiping things that aren't God, it's helping us understand the size of things. 
And so for a second, we need to talk about big things so that we can then talk about little things. The gospel calls us to joy through the large things, and the large things begin with God and Him alone. The large need that you have, you have small needs, and and by small, I don't mean insignificant, except in comparison to the large need. You know what I'm saying? So the large need is to know that you're reconciled to the Father because of the work of Christ, the pursuing Holy Spirit, the Father heart of God. And the temptation of intimacy with another human or of money, particularly those two, is to believe that those are actually large needs. I would say one of those is maybe a medium need and one is a small one. We must begin with the dominant need that the human has, which is to know that they're known by God and to enjoy his pursuit of them. I kind of get annoyed when people say there's too much gratuitous intimacy in movies. And you know why? Is if it's a good movie, and by that I mean well-reviewed. I'm really kind of into movies. Sorry, some of you don't like movies. There's typically a gratuitous scene, which may or may not annoy some of you, but later you'll notice that the reason that scene was in there is to show you how very lonely either one or both of those characters are. If you watch carefully a well-reviewed movie, like above 70 on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, or, and you guys think I'm joking, I'm being serious, a, a well-reviewed movie, for the most part, will, will have that scene, and it may or may not be gratuitous, but the actual purpose of it in the story arc is for us to see how very very lonely that person is or persons joy doesn't begin with another human joy doesn't begin with us getting what we want with respect to money or things it begins with knowing that we're known by the father and that we can approach an entirely holy God because of the work of Jesus Christ This is received by faith and is a gift to us. And you're like, I thought this was a series about money. It is. And the only reason we talk about how to flourish in light of money is because our hearts are freed into an unassailable happiness because of the work of Christ. And you're like, I don't feel happy all the time. Yes, but you can access that. Even in the midst of horrible circumstances. Even in the midst of other feelings. You can learn the incredibly important spiritual skill of reminding yourself of the gospel of Jesus if you're in fact a follower of him. That you are known and loved and liked and found and forgiven and called a true daughter and a true son of the king. That is a large gift. When the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Philippian church about giving to that local church and also to missionaries because it happened to be a wealthy church, partly because Lydia was there, he says this in verse 19 of chapter 4, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's not only the gift of the gospel to be in Christ. It is a large thing. And the reason I want to talk about the large gift is to then talk about the small gifts that the writer of Ecclesiastes was talking about. 
The gospel calls us to joy through the large things and through the small things. Interesting. I didn't know what to do with this. I want to talk about food a little bit, and it's not because Thanksgiving is coming up. Perhaps this will encourage you or perhaps discourage you about your pastor. I was not thinking about Thanksgiving at all, and I'm going to talk a lot about food because food is a mundane gift. And by mundane, I'm not making light of it, but I am comparing it to the gift of salvation and saying it's small compared to the gift of salvation. But it's a good gift. And some of us have been in seasons where we can't appreciate it as a good gift. In 2009, I was diagnosed with cancer and I've been cured and in remission. There's between a 0 and a 1% chance, which really means a 0% chance, but statistically you can't say 1% or a 0% chance. And when I was diagnosed, my pastor said to me, lesser affections will fade for a while. And he was right. So some of you are going to be in a season now or you've been in a season in the past or in the future where what I'm about to say will not be anything other than intellectual. For those of us that are not in a, in a trying season, not in a season of disorientation, God has left us good gifts that we are to enjoy. And I want to thread the right road here to explain how to receive these good gifts and call them the right names the way the Bible talks about it. So when you sit down to a good meal, be it Thanksgiving or not, and you're enjoying that food, it's not because you, you deserve it. There are a lot of people that work really hard across the world and they'll never have a meal like that. And you don't work harder than them. But I don't want you to feel like you don't deserve it. That's not my point. What I want is for us, when we're enjoying a good meal, which is a good gift of the Father, I want us to think, God is gracious. He has left us good gifts to enjoy as human beings. Even in the midst of a world torn by war, wrecked by loneliness, where injustice abounds, there are still good gifts. And so when we, when we look at the guardrails with respect to money that we give generously back to the work of God, that we save because we're humble about tomorrow, and as a reminder that regardless of your job, follower of Jesus, you will always have a role of neighbor love, of love for God and neighbor wherever you find yourself. So we give and we save and we spend. This is so important. If you believe that God exists and you're a follower of him, you are to enjoy the things he has called good. It's interesting in America because it's a very wealthy country, and I know some of you are not as wealthy as others. We actually don't spend very much on household food compared to other wealthy countries. Specifically, France, Norway, and Germany, just in case you thought I didn't actually research that and just said it. And I'm not talking about eating out. I'm talking about eating in. And what that tells me is we don't always recognize the good gifts as the scripture describes them. And if we're really going to have an honest conversation about stewardship, 
If we're going to talk about giving generously back to the church and to the other works, like the one Jeff and Bob were talking about with the Garrett's, we also need to talk about saving because we're humble and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we need to talk about enjoying the things that we can enjoy because of what God has asked us to steward. You know what I'm talking about? One of my favorite quotes comes from um, kind of two books. It comes from one book, but it's quoted by another book. They're books on suffering. Um, one is called God, Medicine, and Suffering by Stanley Hauerwas. Another is called The Message of the Psalms by Walter Brueggemann. And then there's a novel that goes along with it called The Blood of the Lamb. And in The Blood of the Lamb, he says this, and then it's quoted by Stanley Hauerwas, the greatest experience open to man is the recovery of the commonplace. Coffee in the morning and whiskey in the evening without fear. Books to read without that shadow falling across the page. And what's happening in that story, The Blood of the Lamb, quoted by Stanley Hauerwas to help us understand suffering is, when we move out of a season of disorientation, one of the good gifts of God are these commonplace joys, sitting with a book. In this particular case, whiskey and coffee. Perhaps for you it's food. Ecclesiastes would label all those things as good gifts. The greatest experience open to man is the recovery of the commonplace. Coffee in the morning and whiskey in the evening without fear. Books to read without that shadow falling across the page. And we not only are learning to enjoy the, good, the things that God calls good gifts, we're teaching our children this also, and I'm pretty convicted by this because it's been a couple of weeks since I remembered to give my kids the three pieces of, of uh, give them money that they put in the three jars, give, save, and spend. And some of you are like, I don't want to talk to my kids about money. Why not? You remember that moment when they said something and you jumped because they cussed or they said something mean to someone else and you jumped? The reason you jumped is you know their words matter. You know their words have power. And you're longing to parent them well in light of the fact that their words have power. Remember when they hit somebody and you were like, <gasps> or maybe you're a better parent than me and you're like, well, son, I love you. Nothing will ever change that. Please don't do that again. I jump, right? It's because I know that their hands have power for love for God and neighbor. Money is the same. It doesn't go anywhere unless we tell it to. And so as a follower of Jesus, we learn to flourish by following the guardrails given to us by Scripture by giving back generously, by saving because we're humble about tomorrow, and by learning to enjoy the good gifts. So this week, be it Thanksgiving or not, this is going to be an interesting sermon application, I hope. Take some time for a good meal at home. And the, if one of you, if I'm talking to a family and one of you is tired of cooking, maybe it should be the other one. I'm not trying to make... I'm not trying to give someone work to do that's totally exhausted by it. But if we take seriously the Scripture's teachings on stewardship, we learn to enjoy our food. 
because God is kind and has left us good gifts. And if you're in a season of disorientation, that might not be possible for you. And I think I don't want to say at Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving is often a very challenging time because of who's sitting around the table. Just me? None of you have challenging families? Some other time, sit down with a meal at home and take your time. Not because you either do or don't deserve it, but because God has left us good gifts and as his stewards, we are to enjoy them. Michael Pollan, a writer on all sorts of things, but especially food for my purposes, says that it's good to have a couple of beverages there and take a sip in between the bites to help us slow down. According to the scriptures, food is not fuel. It's a good gift for you to enjoy. You're like, why are we talking about food so much? Isn't this church? Yes, where we're trying to call things what God calls them. And because it's America, and for most of us, we're not worried about where our next meal is going to come from, it might not sound revolutionary to you, except we have an opportunity to enjoy the Father heart of God who has left us good gifts in this world. The gospel calls us to joy through the large things and through the small things because he designed us to flourish. Do you see the tension forced on us by money through the lens of a broken world? Let me say it this way. Not say it this way. I have a friend, St. Louis, and in 2015, uh, he lost a son. And I was sitting with him last year and he said, but I have a pretty good life. And the reason he said that is, his income is way above average. And I, I started cussing at him. I'm not going to cuss at you because it's church and that would bother most of us. But that's so wrong. It's such a lie that because he makes a good salary, he has a good life. It's such a misunderstanding of the point of money. And he received it well. We're still friends. But do you see its ability to lie to us? And convince us like the man in Luke chapter 12 that it can actually speak to our soul? Either what it can do or the false security of it? And at the same time, that doesn't mean we're supposed to hate it. We're supposed to learn to enjoy the good gifts, but not as though they were large. And so we learn the guardrails that God gave us. We learn to give generously off the top. We learn to save because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we learn to enjoy. We learn to spend on ourselves what we've been asked to steward. Part of the reason that this is good, good news is it will not always be this way. The world will not remain under the curse. We will not live in this strange tension of trying to figure out how to flourish in light of all these temptations. It will be set to rights by Jesus. And in the meantime, quoting from Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a promise for this in-between time as we wait for Jesus to return. After he returns, we will feast without temptation, without concern. Is it too much or too little? Because that is our hope. That he not only calls us to himself, but that he will heal and renew the world. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we desperately need your help not only to call the things you call big, big, but also to enjoy the many small gifts you have left in the world. Would you help us to enjoy our work and food and drink? And when we are unable to, Lord, would you call to mind the hope that we will indeed feast with you. Amen.